But welcome. Thanks for coming to Equipping Hour. And we are beginning a new series, as we've announced. We wrapped up our Old Testament survey last week, with Jason uh, wrapping up the post-exilic prophets. And now we're transitioning to a new series that's going to take us into February, kind of rounding uh, the corner of the year into the winter on marriage and family. And um, we'll kind of get into the course, introducing the course today, and some of sort of what's going on, the landscape of marriage and family in our world, in our church, in our own lives, and why we think it would be beneficial to do a course like this. But first, let me open us in prayer. God, we thank you for once again gathering us as your church. We praise you, the one who has not only created us, but the one who redeems and the one who has called it people who were once not a people and had not received your mercy. You've drawn us near in Christ and made us the people of God and made us the objects of your care and mercy and forgiveness and grace. Thank you that every day we wake up, your steadfast love is new to us in Christ. And thank you for all the good things that you have in store for your church as we gather today to come under the authority of your word, to worship you, to have fellowship together. And as we begin this new series in Equipping Hour on Marriage and Family, we pray and invite you to work in our lives, to give us understanding of all the things that you teach about marriage and uh, children, having children, raising children, and these family relationships that are, are so central to our lives and to the unfolding plan of Scripture. We pray for wisdom to understand these things. We pray for your Spirit's power to make these things real in our lives. Uh, help me to teach with faithfulness and clarity today. Give us all alertness. We're probably, there's some holiday hangover and tiredness. We pray you'd, you'd still uh, give our minds an alertness to, to hear from you and uh, be glorified in our midst through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with definitions. When we call this class marriage and family, I'm going to use that phrase a lot. We mean, of course, marriage doesn't, uh, doesn't need a lot of explanation. It's the marital covenant uh, bond between man and woman. And then we're talking also about the parent-child relationships. So the marriage and parent-child relationships together that make up the nuclear family. These are the core family relationships. Of course, there are others. There are grandchildren. There are aunts, uncles, cousins, and things like that. And, and there will be uh, implications on those relationships. But we're primarily looking at marriage and parents and children. And um, this also will include topics such as uh, gender and sexuality, because really in biblical perspective, those uh, sexuality is ordained to exist within the sphere of marriage. And so this is a marriage issue. So we're going to be touching on all of those things in some manner. Of course, we're not going to be able to go into complete depth in all of those matters, but they all really are related to this sphere of marriage and family. Now, in the West today, uh, there is a certain view of marriage and family that used to be taken for granted, and it stems from uh, our Judeo-Christian biblical heritage, uh, and it's a set of beliefs that's now being relativized as, as one among many other options out there. And um, there are some old values that, that uh, recognize marriage and parent-child relationships fundamentally as being instituted by God that these relationships exist under kind of God's oversight and God's or ordination, and that these relationships are given to us. These are things that we come into the world and receive. They're not things primarily that we choose for ourselves. They're things that are given to us, and they're bigger than us. They're not just a matter of our own, our own will and our own self-expression. This older view says that it's not up to the individual to ultimately decide what marriage is or what it's about or what it's for. It's not up to the individual to decide what child-rearing is, what it's about, what it's for, and how it should look. But these are ultimately, again, things that are more inherited than chosen. Now, by contrast, we live in an age when newer values have displaced those older ones. And uh, these, are, these are values that emphasize especially a libertarian view of the individual so the fundamental question that people start to ask is, why shouldn't I be free to do X? Why shouldn't I be free to do this thing that I want to do? Um, and then self-fulfillment. What is the true me? What's the true me inside that it's actually, it used to be considered a virtue to, um, to control and curb these inner desires of what's, what's sort of deep inside that I want to do. Now it's becoming a virtue to express those things. It's becoming actually considered a vice to repress those things, 
So what's the true me? What's the, the deepest core of what I desire and what feels right? That, that's becoming a very highly uh, touted value. And then also pragmatism, just a sort of question, a sort of frame of mind that asks, well, what works? What seems to work and, and produce desirable results as far as we can measure them? So these are the kinds of values, these are the kinds of currents in our age that are, are really starting to have for a long time, not starting to, it's, we're pretty far along. Um, and and these, are, these are the currents that sweep our world's thinking with regard to marriage and family, self-fulfillment, uh, libertarian view of the individual, pragmatism, things like this. Now, um, the, the marriage and family we could call crisis is not isolated. It's part of really probably a broader civilizational crisis. And altogether, it's, it's really it's a spiritual crisis. It's a product of uh, really having turned kind of on a societal-wide level, turned away from um, a certain understanding of God, a certain uh, regard for our accountability to God and our createdness by God. Now, I don't want to paint some picture like we, we used to live in this golden age where everyone was a Christian and everyone uh, believed and obeyed the Bible and all the families were healthy. There's never been an age and there's never been a place like that. Uh, maybe like 16th century Geneva or something like that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. There's never really been a place like that. But still, it, it needs to be said that there used to, be, there used to be kind of a common grace regard for, again, our createdness under God and certain kind of fundamental things about what it means uh, to be under God and to be married and to, to be raising children. And those things, um, those things are, 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 are quickly slipping away. Um, the Bible tells us that in the world, God is at war with Satan in this world and Satan and his demons. And there's really a battle of truth against lies. There's kind of a light and dark that's happening. Of course, all this under God's sovereignty as the creator. It's not like God has true enemies that, that threaten his reign. But there is still this kind of warfare between truth and lies in our world. And the home is an important sphere for society. If you were, let's put it this way, if you were Satan and you wanted to cause ruin, and you wanted to undermine the goodness of God's creation, you would be foolish to overlook the home. You'd be foolish to overlook these fundamental relationships of marriage and family in terms of causing ruin and disruption to God's good design. And so these are areas that have been targeted. Um, so they're just kind of thinking through some evidences that our, our society is in a marriage and family crisis. One of the evidences is you look at divorce rates since kind of the, the sexual revolution. I don't know when laws are passed, but at least probably since the 60s, things have, things have uh, liberalized a lot on, on divorce, and, and you see divorce rates have, have ballooned. And this hurts the members of a family. This hurts the children uh, involved in the family, and then it has all these downstream effects on society. And by the way, I'm going to talk about some of these specific issues, and we're talking about issues that touch lives in this room. And none of what I'm about to say is meant to be disparaging and to say, oh, this... Uh, this thing that, that you've done or this thing that's been done to you is your fate and, it's, and it's, it can't be deviated from. There are certain relationships and cause, cause and effect relationships here we're going we're gonna to talk more about uh, as the series goes on, God's redeeming work and how uh, sort of the ruin that, that comes about in these areas is not the end of the story. But there are very real hurts. And the effects, for instance, of divorce are too many to name on kids Studies have found that divorce leads to higher likelihood of economic distress, emotional insecurity, weekend relationships with parents, um, decreased social and psychological maturation, uh, religious disengagement, earlier sexual behavior, worse academic performance, worse physical health. These are all like empirically uh, discovered bad effects of, of divorce on children. That's just the kids. That's not even thinking about the parents themselves. Um, and you can just imagine how those effects ripple out generation to generation in our society. Um, extramarital sex is another major area of, of, of fallenness in our, in our culture, and it leads to all kinds of emotional destabilizing, uh, insecurity, unwanted pregnancies, abortions. Uh, both divorce and extramarital sex together have led to this, this epidemic of fatherlessness, which is just a major crisis in our culture. So many children, especially so many boys being raised without fathers, with very uh, bad effects. And um, then there's gender role confusion. We have men and women confused about their design and purpose as men and women who can't really define and understand what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? There's a lot of conversation about toxic masculinity, uh, which 
I, I understand is a thing. There are bad, um, there are bad manifestations of masculinity, but then uh, there's also kind of an, un, an inability to even define what masculinity should be. What is healthy masculinity? If we can maybe point to some bad examples, and then we have some more extreme manifestations, gender confusion, transgenderism, all these sorts of confusion about maleness and femaleness. So these are just a few of the major areas where we see we are in a, we are in a crisis in our culture. Uh, and I want to emphasize again, it's not as though human cultures have a sterling record of marriage and family outside of the current decays of the late modern West. It's, it would be more accurate to say the problems have always been there. They've varied in their manifestation across time and culture. Um, but the West has been blessed with a common grace inheritance of two millennia of biblical influence in our views of marriage and family and those things that we're watching that just crumble in, our, in real time over the last couple of generations. So that's a little bit of the landscape of what's happening in our culture. Any thoughts? I know I just went through a lot of stuff. Any thoughts or questions about, about those things or just other observations about the state of, of marriage and family and, again, things like sexuality related to that in our, in our world? Yeah, Randy. Seems to me it's a spiritual attack against what God had created. It is. It is. It's a satanic attack on what God created. Marriage and family are very good parts of God's creation. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit later today. And it's interesting how the fall, you see the fall kind of targeted it as the very first thing. And uh, that pattern has continued. It's, it's in some ways, it's a treasure chest, both of, of glory to God and display of his goodness and of kind of, kind of ruinous sabotage from a satanic standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah, Garrett. Yeah, I was just going to say, Tim, it's really interesting. I've read a number of studies, like exhaustive, widespread statistical studies done by atheists mm -hmm. and amoral, a-religious yeah. people, um, and, and come to the same exact conclusion that, that the dissolution of a nuclear family is drawn to most of the rise of all sorts of the deviant behaviors. Yeah. School shootings is another, yeah. number one, another element of that. And it's not even a... Christianity versus non-Christian point of behavior. It's like you said, there's an empirical element where yeah. real scholars are getting behind it and getting to the source of it. Yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't exactly know the reason, but yeah, a lot of, this is not like just Christians in a corner saying this. This is social scientists with lots of data and saying like, that once you start unraveling this nuclear family, and it's even ideologically unpopular in academia to say that. There's, there's actually battles over like whether they can say that or uh, but but if you look at the data, it's like it's it's very true that uh, what basically the Bible's teaching on on marriage and family when you when you jettison that the the the, the ripple effects are just overwhelming. Yeah, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've all seen it. Yeah, we've all seen it on the micro scale. We've a lot of us have walked through it on the micro. And I want to say too, once again, if you say if you're the child of divorce or if you've been divorced, something like that, I hope this is not disparaging. Like, oh, you're doomed, right? The whole the whole arc of this is going to move toward redemption and God God's grace that overcomes even the ruinous effects of sin. That's the storyline of the whole Bible. But I, I, I hope maybe it could actually just help us to appreciate the experience that you've had, that it has probably been a really hard experience to walk through, and you've, uh, you've known some of the bitter fruit of these things yourself. Um, but yeah, we, we, all, we all have seen it very up close at some level experientially. Well, that's the society. Well, what about the church, marriage and family in the church? I wish we could end our diagnosis of the problems now and say the church is so different. We're completely different like light in the darkness. And... Uh, Unfortunately, we do have to look closer to home and say, um, when we look across a church, I don't just mean our local church, I just mean the, the kind of Christian community, broadly across society, there are some uh, statistical differences, I think especially if you look at people who are very involved in church, you know, there's a lot of people that say they're Christian, and that, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's always hard to tell polling, like, who's a Christian with surveys and stuff. So if you control for who actually goes to church regularly, the numbers are better, but they're not as much better as we would want to see with regard to uh, things, again, like extramarital sex and high divorce rates and 
uh, gender confusion uh, issues. All these, all these issues that are happening in the world are happening in the church. Um, I think it'd be fair to say we're not as different as we wish we were. We're not as different. I think all of us believers would, would want to see the church being more different. And I, I use that terminology of, from Paul in Philippians to shining like stars uh, in, against the backdrop of a crooked and twisted generation. Um, our own homes are vulnerable to all of the dangers I just talked about, our own lives. Um, and I, and by, by saying not the local church, I, I, I'm, I'm saying I'm not looking around. I, I don't look around at River City and say, oh, my goodness, we're as bad as the world. Thank God I don't, I don't see it that way. But we are still, as a local church, vulnerable to all the same kinds of things. Um, divorce, extramarital sex, gender role confusion, many more things, domestic abuse, really poor parenting. For instance, uh, you all probably know that earlier this year, we tragically we had to expel a professing believer, a member of this church, for spousal abuse. And uh, it, I, I, none of this is accusatory or trying to be kind of conspiracy-minded, but it's possible that sin is happening still in some households or households in this church. Um, again, not any specific accusations or, or, or speculation, but in a church of this size, we probably have some marriages that are cold as ice, that are loveless and sexless and uh, spouses hardened against each other, and maybe some of them will move toward divorce, maybe some of them aren't, but more maybe just for social convention or financial reasons, but are effectively kind of a dead relationship. Um, again, not thinking of individuals, but there may be children in this, being raised in this church who are being raised under a, a withering barrage of, of parental anger and criticism and, and demeaning harshness. Um, I'm certain that among our ranks, there are people who battle porn and other forms of sexual lust, and maybe some are battling with, with homosexual desires or feeling alienated in their bodies and wondering, would I be happier if I identified as another gender? Uh, the, the point of all this is saying is, is that brokenness that we view in the world is not just out there. These are things that affect our own lives, and our brothers and sisters and we are battling these things at some level or another. Just, and then there's also issues like childlessness, uh, infertility, uh, couple, people that are single and want to be married, and, and things like this. These are all marriage and family issues, and these are all things that the Bible speaks to, uh, and, and so they matter greatly in all of our lives. I hope we can see that whoever we are, um, these things touch on our lives. In fact, let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you're married, okay? Raise your hand if you have kids, Okay, raise your hand if you are someone else's kid. <laughs> okay. All right, so I, I, think, I think about everyone there, at least somehow, right? Like so, and some of us who aren't married may be married in the future and so on. And, and uh, so, I mean, I, it's, it's kind, of, kind of silly, but you, you get it. Like, this touches on all of our lives. Uh, and you know what? All those problems we touched on, we're going to solve them all in 11 weeks, just comprehensively. I've got this plan, and everything's going to be settled now. I love in these introduction lessons to overpromise about all the great things we're going to do during the series and solve all the problems in your life. No, we're not going to do that. But what I'm illustrating is the fact that in the church, we're not facing the world's fallenness in the areas of marriage and family as casual observers. We're not holed up in our enclave looking out at the world and saying, sheesh, those people are, are, are crazy. Can you imagine how messed up those folks out there are? Um, we need to be humble and recognize our own vulnerability to the same cultural winds, the same currents, Randy, the same satanic attacks that you mentioned that are happening where Satan is, is, has free reign in the world, but he is also assailing the people of God with the same kinds of temptations, even using the world as, as, as bait, so to speak. Um, help is available. Many Christian resources address the family. Um, there's a huge industry of kind of marriage and family resources in, among Christianity. There's books, conferences, parachurch ministries, and I'll bet many of them are helpful. I know there's a lot of helpful stuff out there. I would imagine a good percentage of us have benefited from such resources, maybe books we've read um, on parenting or marriage from a biblical perspective. Um, now, this series is going to be based on a book called God, Marriage, and Family by Kostenberger and uh, Jones, Andreas Kostenberger and David Jones, I think. And um, their book, what they're trying to do, and so we're going to follow them in this, is uh, trying to, kind of as a distinctive, trying to build up from biblical foundations, trying to be theological and, and kind of thoroughly biblical. Uh, we want to get practical, so we don't want to fall into just staying in the area of kind of Bible and theology. We want to come out into the surface of our lives, but we do want to be 
thorough and foundational. Um, one of the things you might find as you explore resources, Christian resources on marriage and family, is there can be a tendency to go right to the practical advice. Uh, there can go right to kind of proof texts to help you with your communication in marriage, for, for instance, which is good. But if you don't address foundational issues, one result of that, these authors, I think they make a really good point. What can, one result can be that we're unwittingly adopting society's core values about marriage and family, and we're just sort of putting like Bible verse wallpaper on. How do you talk to your spouse? <laughs> when I just, you know, the thing I just mentioned about like these deep currents of self-fulfillment and libertarianism and sort of this idea of the individual autonomous, if that stuff doesn't get dealt with and rooted out, if we don't deal with these things very deeply on a biblical level, communication advice is only going to help some. It's not going to help very much, ultimately. So we want to get, we want to be thoroughly biblical and, and kind of read the Bible's own story with regard to marriage and family in the context of God's whole plan of, of redemption, really the story of the world, fall and redemption. Um, and that's what we're going to try to do in this series. So any thoughts about marriage and family issues in, in the church among Christians? Yeah, Lori. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point, and it's interesting to put that. So, so the idea of we we need to be careful that we're not, as a church, the kind of community where we let social stick we, we stigmatize struggle with these areas, and we we can't support each other because we can't share. Which is interesting because on the one hand we we want to say we don't want to be just like the world. We want to stand out. We we want to have a culture that's actively protesting against the world's norms. But what you point out is a really good. But we don't want that to we want we want to we want to pursue holiness, but we want to do so in such a humility that we can we're not judging each other when someone's struggling. So we want to be a, a, an environment where it's like, oh, you're struggling in your marriage. That happens. Let's encourage you. It's not like I can't believe you struggle with your marriage. Right. You're you're a bad Christian. But it's like we can actually surround each other and help each other. And that's how we pursue holiness is that we're we're the Lord's means of, of ministry to one another. Yeah, Tava. I think um, it's about creating a safe space mm -hmm. to allow people to understand um, that we, you know, we have um, what we're aiming for is godliness and holiness, but also understanding that we all are human and we're going to all fall short. But, you know, being able to kind of, you know, create a safe space where we can actually talk realistically, just like um, you were saying, about mm -hmm. what our shortcomings are in these areas. Um, yeah. Like for me, I had um, I had four parents, you know, Mm. And my mom and dad were going to get married, um, had me, you know, and then decided not to get married. And I yeah. ended up having, you know, and so for me, I have like things that I deal with, um, yeah. hiccups and, and mental stuff. And it's just showed up in my relationships over over time, like uh, communication issues or anger or whatever. You mm -hmm. know? Um, and um, it's all really prevalent now because I'm mm -hmm. coming off like a really bad breakup. But just mm -hmm. in general, like, you know, you, you deal with all these problems and issues and like, you know, because, you know, again, um, you want to be able to see a strong mother and a strong father working together yeah. um, under God. Um, that's that's supposed to be the model for the family, but um, that's not always there. And so, again, create a safe place where we can actually talk about these things yeah. within the church that's going to bring more people to, you know, mm -hmm. um, trying to be hope, you know. Hope. Yeah, that's so good. I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, God's grace does two things that are relevant to this in the gospel is that it, it, it forgives and it transforms and the church, and that's shaped by the gospel, I think of like Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared, um, bringing salvation, so it, it forgives, it saves, and instructing us to deny godliness, and essentially to paraphrase, to embrace godliness as we wait for Christ. And, and the gospel, that when the church is, is shaped by the gospel as we ought to be, there's this sort of twofold thing we're doing, where we want to be gospelish in our, our warmth toward people with various backgrounds, people who 
like Tavi, you're saying, you've, you've been shaped by bad models and maybe you're struggling in your own life in certain ways. We all, I mean, in, in one way or another, we're, that's all of us, right? Like, we've all been shaped by sinful models and we all have sin in our own lives. And so, on the one hand, we can be open and honest because God's grace forgives and saves in Christ. And then on the other hand, we're a community where God's grace transforms and we can present models of maturity and models of exemplary marriage and parenting where it's like hey that's a good look at those guys that's a good that's a good example of a couple we can all learn from and so on so god's grace should do both of those things and um i don't think i'm speaking to the church like this is we're not doing this but this is good vision for us with regard to how to walk through this very broken area of life did i see stacy your hand without the presence of that humility there is no room for the gospel Mm -hmm. so yeah in our house we're seeing the need for the gospel <laughs> and I know that's true in, in many families around us <laughs> a few <laughs> a few of our households uh, there's an apparent need for the gospel yeah the hum- I mean the humility of that brokenness of spirit Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit there's the kingdom of heaven it's only those who are low, lowly regarding our own sin who are eligible to receive God's grace because that's who, that's who comes to Christ in faith so yeah great amplify what's been said just to pick a passage say for instance like in Colossians 3 mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm. those calls that humility that, that is expressed and it should be increasingly and even in these kinds of areas with patience with sensitivity with mm-hmm. kindness because of all the things that impact us and, mm-hmm. and that leads to that genuinely um, safe to use your word Papa, um, accepting um, and yet coming alongside, working together mm-hmm. towards being transformed. Yeah. And it's just all of it. Mm-hmm. Kind of That's thing. great. Yeah. Good. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the input. I appreciate that uh, y'all are processing and thinking about, again, very practical level. What does this look like in our church? What does this look like in our homes? Because that's what we want to do. We want to be biblical and foundational, but we want this to come to the surface practically. Um, Let's move on to marriage and family in the biblical storyline. Um, and, and Lord willing, we do mean to be thorough in our biblical engagement throughout this course. Um, I want to start today with kind of a sampling by giving a very high-level overview of how these themes of marriage and family pervade the biblical storyline. And it's kind of, I, I think it's kind of interesting to ask the question of like, where does marriage and family fit in our, in our system of theology? Or kind of if you're familiar with systematic theology, these traditional doctrines of God and and uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit and redemption and the church and all these. And you go, where does marriage and family fit? Well, it seems like it naturally fits uh, like to the very tail end almost of the Christian life, right? You've got the church and you've got sort of the Christian life of sanctification. Yeah, it is. You, you, there's an argument there. It's way downstream of these like God and creation and Christ and salvation. But there's another angle that says um, if you actually think about it, marriage and family is, is a little more central to the whole biblical story than that it's not just a peripheral okay then how do we live it is but actually it's a it's a much more integral theme to the the whole story of scripture and what what what's happened basically the bible's perspective of what what has happened and what's happening in the world um so it it really gets into deeper issues of what does it mean to be a human being actually as i hope we'll see we're going to do a lightning fast survey of what has been called the four kind of chapters of the biblical storyline we dealt with this in a previous series when we kind of looked at the whole story of Scripture. But um, the four kind of stages are creation, fall, redemption, and new creation or consummation, which is sort of the, the, the final kind of outcome of redemption. So first of all, uh, re- creation. Would someone be willing to read Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28? I can do that. Okay, Greg. So just so we're all aware, these are the 26th. 27th and 28th verses of the whole Bible. Okay, this is day six of the world. <laughs> so we're very early on here, very foundational. Greg, what do those verses say? Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thank you. Now, this is the cornerstone text of scripture about what it means to be a human being. Like, what is, what is a person? What is a human being? And notice that this is before the fall. So this is expressing God's original design for us as people, as humans, as men and women in particular. Uh, this is not some kind of provision made after the fall into sin. This is God's design. And uh, you know what? We have marriage and child rearing both here, right, from, right out the gate. What do we see about marriage implicitly or explicitly in these verses? Yeah, Randy. Later on, it shows God gave Adam a job yeah. before he gave him a wife. Yeah, so that's going to be chapter 2. We're not going to look there, but chapter 2 is a little more explicit about marriage. And you have this vocation for Adam, which was to work and keep the garden, to be like a priest king in the garden. And then a, a helper, the wife as a suitable helper for him in that vocation. Yeah. And then in, also in chapter 2, you have very explicitly that institution formula of you know, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and, and hold to his wife, and they should become one flesh. So it's very explicit in chapter 2. Um, that's where the story is going to go. Do we see any like hints toward that here? Yeah, Tabitha. Yeah, verses 26 to 28 of Genesis 1. Well, um, I think what I see is um, I think in order for um, men and women to be together in union, uh, that's to be godlike. Mm -hmm. It's in the image of God. Yep. Uh, also, having dominion over the earth. So it's like being able to work together in order to um, you know, have the earth be the way that we need it to be. Um, yeah. So men and women together imaging God and kind of ruling God's creation under God. Uh, exactly, yeah. Following the order. Yeah, yeah, there's a real order, kind of a, an ordering of, of beings, so to, so to speak. Yeah, Zach. On the family side, part of the mandate is to multiply. Yeah. To fill the earth. Yeah, so there's, I mean, child rearing is, is more explicit here. Have kids, have a lot of kids, fill the earth with them. Which kind of works your way backward to marriage, right? Like, well, and, and uh, what else you see is you see a male-female complementarity. You see gender, our genderedness as, as men and women from the very, out from the very gate of, of what does it mean to be a human being? Well, one thing it really, really means is that we're male or female. That's very fundamental. And then that gendered complementarity is what, you know, it, it kind of, it's not explicit here, it's implicit, but that's what marriage, that's, that's what creates the conditions for marriage. That a man and a woman are joined and create a marriage and then are fruitful and multiply. So it's, it's children are explicit here. Marriage, I think, is more implicit. Um, see a couple more hands. Um, Paul, did you have something? I was going to say exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Jo John, did you have something else you were going to say? God's establishing a unique role with the dominion over the creation that uh -huh. separates from the rest of creation. Right. That's true. So man is being flagged as a very distinct creature under God because no other creature is said to be made in his image. And it's interesting that no other creature has something like marriage ordained for it. Um, I mean, there's mating, and but that's different. That's a very different thing. Yeah, Seth? It's really important to point out that uh, marriage is God-ordained. God it's not something that's instituted by, you know, it's not something that Adam comes up with. It's not something yeah. that's instituted by, instituted by a state or like some sort of idea that, that came out naturally. It is a yeah. God-ordained institution. Absolutely. That's really, really crucial for biblical understanding of marriage. It's ordained by God. It's kind of on the first level of, of human existence. It's like you're talking about. It's not, there's later things, like later institutions, like government. Well, government comes along later, but government is not the custodian of marriage, of what marriage is, because marriage predates government. Even the church. The church isn't ultimately, I mean, marriage is not the creation of the church. The church is post-marriage as well in regard to it being this fundamental thing that God created from the very day one of, of men and women. Uh, that's a really good observation. Uh, Taba, and then was, was it Zach or, or Terry? Did someone back there have a hand? Okay, never mind. Taba. Uh, so um, just basically what, what you said about, like, you know, we as humans are the only ones that really have that um, mm -hmm. signifier by God of marriage. Um, and then, like, the verse that talks about um, having dominion over the animals. Mm -hmm. That's like a signifier, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that we where we we kind of function as God's representatives in the earth, in 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 our rule of animals, in our and in our family life, in our filling the earth with God's image. Like, think about it as the, multiply the image of God, multiply more of people like you out into the world, fill the earth with the image of God is what he's telling them. So um, moving into the fall, we won't rehearse the whole fall narrative in Genesis 3. I do want to point out that marriage and family lie at the very heart of that, that tragedy, both how it happened and its disastrous consequences. So um, Genesis 3, 6, uh, you probably know the context that Satan has assumed the form of the serpent. He's tempting the woman to do the one thing, this one kind of covenantal rule. God said, don't break, don't eat this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Satan is tempting the woman. And in verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, um, somebody made reference to, now we, we haven't looked at this, but in Genesis 2, uh, Randy, you made reference to this, that there's man is made first with his vocation to kind of rule and guard and keep the garden for God as God's representative, and then he needs a companion, he needs a suitable helper, and then God brings a woman out of his ribs, and this is the perfect helper for him. So there is sort of an ordering. The man comes first. He's not more, we're going to deal with all this. Greg's going to sort out all your, all your questions and issues when he preaches from Colossians uh, 3.18. But uh, he said last week, and it's a good point, there's no order in, in value or dignity, but there is an order in function and, and in complementarity. And the man is first. Um, but what happens in Genesis 3.6 is that the wheels, the wheels fall off, or really the train goes off the track when um, the man passively sits by and the woman makes a big decision about the fate of humanity. <laughs> Think, let's do what this snake said. And she does it, and he doesn't stop her, and she actually leads him to do it with her. And uh, Paul makes this point in, in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14, when he's teaching on gender roles in the church and saying, remember how it went when we fell. And some have, some have pointed this to say, well, um, women are kind of constitutionally more gullible. So what Paul's saying is, watch out for women being gullible. Don't let them make these horrible decisions. I think what he's saying is he's looking at the, 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 the ruinous effect of role reversal and saying, look how it happened in the garden. We fell because we, we messed up our order. That was on both of them. And he's saying, let's not do that in the church. Let's not fall into the same sin of, of role confusion. So it's not like he's nail, like targeting women and saying like women are incompetent. I think it's more like when you jettison the order God has ordained, it, it goes south really quickly. And that's what happened. Um, interesting, Adam is the one consistently blamed throughout Scripture. as the, He's the covenant representative of humanity, so it's really his sin that gets imputed to us. It's not Eve's sin. So Adam was the, the leader, but he didn't lead. And, and, uh, and so the first sin happened. And then when you look later on the chapter in verses 16 and 19, God's doling out curses. And uh, what does he curse for the man in verses 17 to 19? Essentially, his breadwinning vocation, his, uh, his stewardship of the earth, his ability to get food out of the earth. There'll be thorns and thistles and sweat. And then his curse against the woman touches on the areas of both marriage and family. Um, when he says in verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, childbearing wasn't part of the curse. It was part of be fruitful and multiply, but now it's going to hurt. It's going to be really hard. And that seems like that's more than just the moment of labor and delivery. It's probably the whole, it's like a, a representative um, figure of speech for like the whole endeavor of, of having children and raising them. As you women know, and those who have observed women, it's really hard and painful work. There's so many ways that it, it, it hurts. Um, and then your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And that, that probably desire for is more oppositional than it might sound in the English. It's not like you'll really be into your husband. It's more like there will be strife. There will be a conflict and strife between that. It's used later on in chapter uh, four, I think, with Cain saying sin is desiring you. It's going to try to strike you down. So there's this idea of hostility. And he's saying, yeah, now that you've fallen into sin, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be strife in the marriage. There's going to be pain in the, the, the work of childbearing. Um, so the fall both was occasioned by marriage and family problems and gave, gives rise to 
innumerable marriage and family problems as its as its consequence. And uh, like we already kind of documented some of the some of the many things this resulting shockwave of cursing and misery that is that is issued from the fall. Uh, any other thoughts or questions about that, the fall and marriage? And of course, there's a lot more to say about it, but just with regard to its, uh, its place in, in the biblical storyline. Yeah, Matt. I just, uh, again, with Adam's passiveness, the, in, the, in chapter 2, he's supposed to, he's told first, he's told the rule about yeah. Mary, not, not Eve. She's not even there yet in, in, in that order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, she's, that she's created out of the earth. It's on him to tell her. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. To lovingly, like, watch her and, and just in, encourage her not to do that. And doesn't seem to be interested in that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Greg and then John. Just to, again, uh, put the exclamation point on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That sense of the fall, as, and I'm sure you're going to touch on this, as it continues to unfold through Genesis, mm-hmm. through the whole biblical storyline. I mean, it's like an avalanche that just... Mm-hmm. The, the deepening depravity uh, becomes mm-hmm. more and more apparent, concurrent with God's promise and His redemption. Yeah, but it's it's stunning in the way it unfolds. Yeah, that's a good point. That gen- really the family fallenness is a major theme throughout Genesis, um, even among the covenant line, which from Abraham on is the focal point of the story. It's this family of promise, and they're a mess in the in areas of marriage and family. Uh, in fact, there's even there's even subtle verbal parallels between like Eve ta- seeing the tree and seeing the fruit and taking it, and like Sarah taking Hagar and like giving her to Abraham. There's this sort of like this sort of echoing of oh, it's happening again. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's part of what Genesis is doing is showing this this kind of progressive ruination in the area of family um, and the whole Bible. There's a lot, but but just to give us a sense of fa- the. Marriage and family is very central in, in, in what happened when when we fell as a human race. Moving on to redemption. Oh, John. I'm sorry, brother. I promised that I would come back to you. What's Do you up? have any thoughts on just the word patriarchy and, mm. and how that's used in modern day? Yeah. I don't know, wokeism, whatever you want yeah, to call yeah, it. Patriarchy. Yeah, patriarchy. Thanks for, thanks for the softball there, John. <laughs> what do I think of the term patriarchy? Um, I, I don't, I don't want to... F- I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to evade. I, I, I don't want to fight over non-biblical words because I can say, well, it depends on what you mean. It could potentially be as well. What it means in Greek, it means father rule. And uh, the concept of ruling is delegated primarily to husbands and fathers. I mean, you have, for instance, in, in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for elders, it's like if he does not rule his family well, including his kids, primarily means his kids there. He's not qualified to be an elder. So, yeah, I think in a limited sense, father rule, etymologically, yeah, it's biblical. I know, though, that um, it's a loaded term, and there are, there are really nasty neg- One thing with feminism, um, and I can't get into all this now, but there's a lot of bad fruit in feminism, but a lot of it's reacting to really bad fruit coming in another direction. Like, there are... There have been really, really pervasive bad examples of men abusing authority in the family. There still are. But even before kind of feminism came about, it was somewhat more unchecked. And so I don't want to be insensitive to the fact that there, there is a lot of bad man, man, men using authority badly in history. And so if that's what people are trying to describe, I want to say, yeah, that's bad. Let's call that bad. But anyway, I don't know biblical word or is that something that's been obscured? it's not a biblical word as such I mean like I said rule arc arc is rule and father I mean yeah it's a biblical concept but I wouldn't say as a word no I don't need, I don't know the history of the word patriarchy in English but yeah yeah top I mean that seems to be like um, one of the biggest stepping stones with uh, people when I talk about like you know uh, faith in God uh-huh. and Christianity Gender, you know, yeah. in conversation and like you know, we talk about like you know Eve, mm-hmm. making a mistake, or you know Sarah, or things of that nature, and um, and yeah, it's like it's like for me, I try to figure out how I could you know have an educated conversation and yeah. actually you know, um, really kind of understand like the roots of like what actually the Bible is intended mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. the way it's being interpreted. You know? Yeah, no, that's good, and 
obviously a big topic, but these are areas where there's a lot of friction with the world, and it's good to it's good to be clear on what the Bible says and doesn't say because we might get dragged in. I mean, the Bible's teaching is very offensive to many of the world. Let's not deny that. But also, we want to be careful. We're not like we're not trying to defend something that we we misunderstood, right? Like people will pin things on us that we may, maybe isn't very biblically um, informed. So yeah, hopefully this series will help us with that. With just uh, and Greg's preaching out of Colossians three will solve all all your problems. So, <laughs> well, well, I'm 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 really hot. I'm really hyping this up for Greg's preaching. We're going to be just, all your issues are going to go away. No, yeah, John. But that's a good point, Taba, with our, kind of apologetically, our interaction with the world. Yeah, John. Yeah, I think the other side of that, the apologetics part, like, right, you have Ephesians 5 that I think causes a lot of strife, but people stop reading too early, right? Like, mm-hmm. it says, um, in the latter part, it says, uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? So, Husbands, yeah, you're supposed to lead, but you're supposed to lead like Christ led, mm-hmm. and He died for the church. Yeah, right. right. Like He was the servant. <coughs> he served first. He washed washed His disciples' feet. Feet, right? Like He did all the things. Yeah. that lowered Himself. Yeah, and that's the part that I think, right? Like as you, if you stop yeah. at the husband's yeah. to lead, then you yeah. miss all of that. Often, popu- often the popular distortions of of kind of biblical generals will will neglect that part of it. However, I do want to be quick to say, even if that's clearly communicated to people, there's going to be, it, it's a hard sell in our, in our culture. But what isn't a hard sell is godliness. It's beautiful in its actual appearance. And, and the world, as the world crumbles in its kind of turning to its own wisdom with regard to marriage and family, godliness is, the fruit is going to be, the proof's going to be in the pudding, and it is, that the world is going to have to grapple with, wow, there is something as odious as their views on gender are, there is something beautiful and harmonious about 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 the church. That would be that's beautiful when that's happening. But uh, yeah, Greg, last word on this. Yeah, yeah. all of that, even and and the structure of, of biblical authority in the home, flows from even the mystery of of authority within the Trinity yeah. and, and the, the godly life giving submission of the Son to the Father and His redemptive work and just yeah. all of that. So it's. It's a whole matter of theology of authority. Yeah, yeah. Good, it's true. Let's move on to redemption, and we'll be pretty brief, but um, we've talked a lot about fallenness and, and sin and misery, but biblically, and I hope over the course of the marriage, mar- uh, course of the series, marriage and family aren't just areas of cursing and sorrow, but they're right at the heart of the good news. There are spheres where God showcases his mighty arm of redemption and, and his glory in unique ways. Um, one thing is that the Bible often frames Christ's redeeming work in marriage and family terms. These are very central kind of metaphors for describing what's going on um, in, in the gospel. So we've talked about the church is the bride of Christ. This is out of Ephesians 5, to 33. We won't read that now, but many of us are familiar with. Uh, Paul doesn't just say, wives, be like the church submitting to Christ. Husbands, be like Christ loving uh, loving your wife like Christ loves the church. He goes a level deeper and says, actually, this Christ church thing is the point of marriage. This, verse 32, it, this, this mystery is profound, marriage, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So, it's, it, I mean, it, this, is a, this is a very big thing to say about marriage, that it's, it was divinely ordained as a picture of a Christ church, eternal union, uh, in that beautiful saving love that we in the church enjoy by faith in Christ. So you have uh, church is a bride of Christ. That's a rich uh, vein of, of truth. Then second, you have God's fatherhood to believers. And this, this is probably the, the, the pinnacle result of salvation. Um, and G.I. Packer, the theologian, has said that um, adoption is the pinnacle that, that crowns our, our experience of salvation. He, he says it in these words. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father, end quote. And, and he also calls adoption the highest privilege that the gospel offers. What's interesting to think about, the New Testament uses this picture of God's fatherhood to believers in two different ways. We just talked about adoption. So you have texts like Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption as sons. You also have being born of God. Um, that's a big one in 1 John, for instance, 1 John 3.9 and 4.7 and a few other places. Um, Think about those two metaphors, adoption by God and then being born of God. What, what 
distinctly does each one of those convey, each of those images? Yeah, Matt. Adoption is being selected. Selected, chosen, yeah. You can't choose who your parents are, but actually picks you. Yeah. So adoption highlights chosenness. And there's someone who went out of their way to, to take a person that was not naturally part of their family and make them a part of their family. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. What about uh, Matt Wolf? Are going to say something? I was just going to follow up your question. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, it's redemption and transformation. Transformation, so yeah. Adoption and born of God reflect the God that we've been redeemed, but we're also being transformed. Yeah, so what born of God highlights is the, the God likeness of the new creation that we are in Christ. Uh, that we're transformed into being like God, almost like a child who's born of their parents' kind of genetic material, and they'll start to resemble their parents as they grow. And so, yeah, there's something in which those are both rich, rich pictures of we're chosen to belong to God, and then we're born of God in this new creation where we start being godlike in this in um, the work of the Spirit in regenerating us. And uh, that's all part of what it means to have God as our Father. Um, so, kind of the highest, the highest privilege, the highest pinnacle of what Christ has won for us is to call God our Father, just as he does for eternity. Um, and then finally, the, the, the New Testament retur- refers to the church as God's household or family, for 1 Timothy 3.15. It uses the word household, but what's implied there is, is family, the inhabitants of a, of a home. Um, so we have these pictures of ways that marriage and family illustrate redemption, and even were intended you know, from the start to illustrate redemption. But also God's redemption reforms our ways of inhabiting these relationships. So it's not only that God says, how do I describe salvation? Ah, I'll use fatherhood. It's also being in Christ changes the way we do fatherhood and motherhood and and husbandhood and wifehood and so on. Um, And texts like Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that we've we've made many references to now, uh, 318 to 21 show how the new creation that God has made us in Christ works itself out practically into our closest and most intimate relationships in the family. So the so marriage and family is sort of the 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 um, the garden from which all these metaphors are are harvested for the church and for for redemption, and it's also the platform in which redemption shows itself in God's glorious renewing work in our lives. And finally, we have consummation, which is, again, kind of the final result of redemption, where, where the story ends, a new creation. And uh, the book of Revelation carries through that marriage motif of Christ and his church, and it, it talks about his return as the marriage supper of the Lamb in, in Revelation 19, 6-10. And um, others have observed that it's significant that Scripture both begins and ends with weddings. Um, Right there in chapter 2, there's the first wedding. And right there, uh, chapter 19, you have this marriage supper of the Lamb between Christ and his church. I'm not sure the supper itself ends. I wonder if it's saying, here it is, it's the marriage supper. And then we just get issued into the the final things. And in a sense, it's like the whole state of joyous union with with us in Christ is like this never-ending feast. Um, So all that to say, marriage and family are, are deeply woven into the whole story of Scripture our creation, our fall, the, the Lord's work to redeem us in Christ, and then the, the consummation we look forward to in the end. Um, which leads to the question of why do this study? Um, well, I hope, hope you see it's a biblical topic. Um, and I've addressed marriage and family decays in society and in the Christian church. So we've kind of touched on this, but we want to get a little more specific in addressing the reasons for this series as a church. I'm going to give you five reasons. Maybe you can think of more. If you have any reasons in mind about why I do this series and I don't cover them in my five, maybe you can suggest another one. But first one is airtime. This is just a simple observation that we just saw. God talks a lot about marriage and he talks a lot about children and family. So some, some aspect of faithfulness is to kind of give due attention to this biblical theme that is so pervasive. So we just say, hey, the Bible talks about it. It must be important. That's kind of the, the first level analysis of it. But then, secondly, we have significance. It's not only that it gets talked about, but marriage and family are important spheres of life. They touch on some of the most profound issues of what it means to be a human being. Again, this is the very first text about what humans are, and and we're talking in terms of marriage and family and genderedness. I'll I'll point that out again. Um, And what God has done to redeem us in Christ. So not only does marriage and family get talked about a lot, but it's tied to the biggest things. 
the biggest concerns of the Bible and what should be the biggest concerns of, of, our, of our lives. A third reason to do this class is def- defense. Um, this is an area of aggressive demonic assault in our culture. And um, we want to teach positively. We don't want to just be on our heels uh, fighting all the time. But we, we do unashamedly. We need to play defense as well. Um, we're in a culture where, um, again, the, I, we see every believer in Christ. Remember, this church is someone who is under fire in this area in some aggressive ways. And Titus 1.9 says a pastor elder's duty is to instruct in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. There's both a positive building and then a negative defensive um, um, contradicting that needs to happen. And that's definitely the case with this area. Um, Nehemiah's crew in Nehemiah 4, they're building, their, their, they're building the walls of the temple and they're threatened by some who, who might attack them. And um, what do they have? They, the guys end up 417. They're, they're building with one hand and they're carrying a sword with the other. That picture of, of constructive work and defensive work is a really cool picture. It's Charles Spurgeon, I think his magazine, he called it the sword and the trowel. Because he said, we're trying to do this. We're trying to build. We're trying to build with positive, true things about the faith. But we're also, we have to defend. We have to sometimes do, do some combat against lies. And that's, what? Like Nehemiah, yeah, exactly. So that's what inspired that uh, Spurgeon magazine. And very much the case here in this series. So we want to we equip you all knowing you're, you're in a very tough world uh, living day to day with regard to these things. Fourth is impact. Um, Marriage and family issues have a major impact on our experience of life, on our happiness and our flourishing, or our lack thereof. Um, and in every, uh, every one of us, every household, every individual life, in the areas of marriage and family, we are dealing with some form of sin or its consequences. I should say, and its consequences. We've all been sinned against in these ways, and we've all sinned in various ways it's, uh, in these ways. Especially the older we get, we realize that we're more vulnerable to these sins. Um, and there's no doubt, we've already touched on this, among us in this room, um, there's, there's lots of pain and brokenness represented in the history of, of what people have gone through. And so uh, these are issues that are very near the heart. The, they affect our most intimate relationships. How could it not uh, affect us emotionally? And so um, really the quality of our life is going to depend a lot on, on how we understand and walk in these areas. And so that, that, that alone is reason to give it, give it attention. Um, our work, our friendships, our health, our walk with the Lord will, and, our, and with the church will all be affected by, by, by these matters. Uh, the fifth reason is worship and witness. That's kind of two, but we'll call it one. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, been negative a lot, but positively, marriage and family can be wonderful platforms for God to display uh, the transforming work of the gospel in Christ. And... Um, the way he works in marriages, the way he works in parent-child relationships and transforms them in sanctification can yield great joy and praise and adoration to him in our hearts. So we, it could just be a means of worshiping the Lord to see him transforming ourselves and others in the body. And then by the same token, we've referred to this as well, but his redemptive work in these areas of our lives can be evangelistically very powerful. That again, as, as the world... Uh, spirals more and more away from kind of these common grace things. The church is going to look more and more different in in good ways, in, in beautiful and attractive ways. Even if they don't like our doctrine, uh, they they're going to have to wrestle with the fruit. I I, I hope that's the case more and more. That that uh, scripture talks about adorning the gospel with our lives, and 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 it can be very powerful in that way. So the way we live can uh, can really attract attention and, and um, interest in the gospel. So um, any any other reasons to do a series like this? Did my five completely exhaust it or did anyone else think of a sixth or other reasons? Or maybe uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Blake? I think it's really good to have these lessons, these classes because I think that there's no substitute for thoughtful discourse when it comes to Christian circles discussing mm-hmm. these things, and so often I see in the world around us, the secular world, that not only is there a lack of Christian discussion in many circles, mm-hmm. but because of sin and dysfunction affecting the family so much in the last hundred years, mm-hmm. I see a complete lack of, in the world, I see a lack of 
see a lack of rational discussion, especially about issues like sexuality mm -hmm. and the family and lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And so, oftentimes in the world, there there are there are discussions and conversations that there's no effort to put thoughtful mm -hmm. effort into having these thoughtful discussions. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to have these interactions because um, mm -hmm. Christians talking about these matters can clear up what God's mm -hmm. word really says. Mm -hmm. and, and we can have thoughtful discussions about what the Holy Spirit is doing and how the Lord is sovereignly guiding all of our churches to mm -hmm. um, have these interactions. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, in our world, you know, people get carried along by, not necessarily by ra rational consideration, but by the kind of the spirit of the age, by just assumptions and, and impressions and kind of just get swept along with it. And the current that we swim in and live in, we're, we're susceptible to the same thing. So as the believers, you know, there's something very helpfully countercultural about the Bible, you know, from every cultural standpoint, the Bible and going, okay, we have this kind of alien view of things that's very different from our surrounding world, and we need to stop and, and think very carefully and not just get swept up like the world does. And that's, again, that's not just the modern West. That's everywhere you go in humanity. There's, there's these godless assumptions that are kind of driving people along. Zach? Um, I, I know we've talked a lot about the changes in the world around us. Um, I think also our where we're situated in these matters changes over time mm -hmm. too. And you know, for some of us, maybe we're not married now. We might be in the future. Mm -hmm. We might have children who are leaving the house, and our relationship is changing. Yeah. And I think I don't know. Like it could be easy. Oh, I've already heard this class. We've yeah. already done this. Why are we doing it again? Um, and I'm not saying that for this situation. I get it. Exactly. It's been no. quite a while. <laughs> I understand completely. But I think revisiting it and yeah. re-examining where each of us fits into this conversation, That's the, very the truth itself isn't changing at all. No, yeah. But our relationship to it changes. We're, we're bringing different questions to it, different struggles, because exactly. our life stage changes. Absolutely. Good point. Well, um, I'm going to... Oh, yeah. Christy, last well, word. Then. I just think that... I mean, you're saying this, but I think there's, like, in the marriage role, there's a lot of... Um, misunderstandings or confusions about how that is supposed to look mm -hmm. so I'm really hoping that you kind of work through those things because there's a lot of confusion there mm -hmm. with what you know culture says and yeah. what we think the Bible says and yeah and the Bible clarification. the Bible yeah and the Bible teaches um, what it does but and which is really good and, and sufficient but um it can be hard to just go from the page to doing it. It, it. We need models, too. We need other believers walking in that path of godliness to model it because it gets very practical. And the practical questions can multiply very quickly and struggle. So, um, Yeah, Anne and Greg's sermon series on Colossians 3. <laughs> <laughs> Not to overhype it or anything, but... Okay. Um, <laughs> There is a there is this kind of spirit uh, appointed uh, uh, synergism with these two things we're doing at once. We didn't plan, but God did. So, anyway, uh, just a quick word about our approach in these series. Uh, this series. So, what are we going to do? I, I mentioned our course text, this book, God, Marriage, and Family, by uh, Andreas Kostenberger and David Jones. Is David Jones right? Uh, anyway, Wilson is. Yeah. Um, um, it's good, you know, there's no expectation you're going to follow along and read it, but of course if you do, there's, there's, we're not going to be able to cover all the detail that they do, so if you want to take a deeper dive, uh, it would probably be cool, probably be helpful to just read it as we go. Um, but we're going to loosely cover kind of the chapters of that book, and um, again, we want to be thoroughly biblical and setting the foundation, theological and biblical regarding marriage and family, but we want to be very practical. And I'm, I'm loving the practical kind of meditations and thoughts that are coming out of your questions and comments, and I want that to continue. It'll be a much more fruitful class if that does. One thing you can do to, be, to help us be practical is by sending me practical questions. Email me. I don't think I put my email address on the handout, but tim at rivercitygrace.org. Email me practical questions um, that I can forward to Greg. And... Um, 
No, what we'll probably do is just distribute them to whatever teacher is kind of covering that that week. So if it has to do with children, they, oh, we'll put it on that week and maybe the teacher can deal with that. But having some ideas of kind of where this stuff hits at home, where you're at, could be really helpful for enlivening our discussion as we deal with biblical matters. Uh, and of course, we would deal with it anonymously. We wouldn't be like, so-and-so said, you know, uh, we're, we're not going to out you that you uh, submitted a question about your your like deadbeat spouse or whatever. Um, so we, we want it to be helpful. We want it to be practical. And uh, Lord willing, we'll, 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 we'll taste some good fruit of his, his, his renewing work in our lives. Um, so with that, I'm going to close this in prayer. And I'm glad to interact with you um, uh, afterward if there's any questions or anything that you want to talk about. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you. I'm just overwhelmed by the, the beauty of your design of us as male and female and, and uh, those who would, would issue forth in, in more image bearers of you to fill the earth with your glory. Um, and we are also overwhelmed by how, how sinful sin is in this area, how, uh, how disastrous sin has been. And we all have tasted bitter fruit from that. And um, we thank you that Christ is, is a more powerful redeemer than the ability of sin to destroy. We thank you that... Um, where we are increasingly conscious of our own sin, we are increasingly uh, eligible to receive grace. That it's it's the brokenhearted and the the poor in spirit that receive your mercy and grace. And we we pray that you would give us all a right sense of of uh, of our fallenness in these areas, but also a right sense of uh, of hopefulness in the gospel and a confidence in our redemption. And that you would continue to purify our lives as individuals, as families, and as a church that we would have a gospel-driven humility and also that we would have a gospel-driven um, culture of, uh, of appropriating the transforming grace that's ours in Christ, that we would continually grow in being a people who model godliness in marriage and family, who pursue it together as a team, uh, who are a support network for each other and who shine, again, shine brightly like stars in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation so that you be glorified in our midst. We pray all this and, and pray you bless our course. In Jesus' name, amen.